Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Dafa Shavua as we study Mesechus Kesuvos Dafa and Test 59. I hope I could get a good streak back uh, leading this year. I apologize, but uh, no reason to apologize when you have Rabbi Israeli giving the year. It's just been a very crazy time, and we're trying to get Sorba started. On Sundays, you're all invited to join us every Sunday morning beginning this week. We can master Hilcha Shabbos. We have uh, Smichas Chaver going on, Dafyomi, but I still find Dafa Shavua such a great, great program. <coughs> and Kalakavo to all you that are hanging in. I love coming into Shul and seeing people uh, learning Mesechas Ksuvas on Shabbos and during the week as well. We've been uh, covering the major topic of whether a person could be Kona, something that is not yet in this world. Dava Shalobala and as we get into our Gemara on Dafa Nintes, certain uh, qualifications or chidushim in what is considered lobal olam. So the Gemara raises a possibility, it's really just part of a Havamina in a uh, bigger discussion, the idea of Masayodeha. Masayodeha is the uh, earnings that a woman brings to a marriage. In exchange for those, at least on a simple level, she receives the mazonos from the husband, the food from the husband. How do we look at Masa Yodeha? The Gemara raises a possibility, it's discussed in Tosos as well, and other Rishonim, that it's really a literal expression that Masa Yodeha is not just something that she produces, you know, like a stock that's making money that is also a production but it is looked at as a result of her hands. I think the basic assumption over here is that work was done, especially in the past, through the hands, and therefore there's a possibility that since her hands are already in the world, then anything that results from that is not considered Dabash Olam. I was just interested in picking up, and I discussed this with a couple of people, the expression of Masa Yodeha. You know, I look at Masiyadeh, or at least I looked at it beforehand, as production. It's something that she produces, not necessarily connecting it to the Adayim, to the hands. You know, the Gemara matches it up with fruit that comes from a tree. You can't say that that fruit is a Davosh Olam because the tree is here, and we say the hands are here. So it's just very interesting. We're going to get into, I want to spend most of my time today <coughs> with the Mishnah on Nun Tesam and Beis. And you should appreciate, I've said this before in Ksuvas, maybe it came up in Masechus Yavamas as well. We have today a standard uh, marriage contract. We also have in the Ashkenazi community a standard Tanayim. And we know, as we learned earlier in this Masechta, that the a person who's divorced or a person whose husband dies, they have to make a claim before they want to receive the money from the ksuba because this doesn't exclude other money coming in. But there are times where the terms, some of the terms and some of the requirements going both ways are negotiable. I want to point out something interesting about how these terms are negotiated. Um, sometimes in the Tanayim. Now, we use today very basic Tanayim. When people got married a year or so in advance, so the Tanayim carried a little bit more weight. 
not just as far as what's going to happen with the wedding, but even as far as responsibilities during engagement. And there are different Lashonos. In the Hasidic community still, they still do use the Tanayim much more extensive. I think it was Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, I'm not 100% sure, who said we don't need to do Tanayim. Our weddings are much closer, and not all of these issues are being negotiated. We basically use a standard ksuba. And what happens with the Tanayim, the Tanayim basically say that both sides are ready to the move to the ne- are ready to move to the next step. There's no uh, money that's being discussed. You know, if this engagement falls through, how much money this one's going to owe to the other one. You do have other communities that have more formal tanayim, even without an erisin in advance, right? Remember, we pointed out if there's an erisin, then she's considered to be an ashes isha. She's she's considered to be an ashes ish. So we use a generally called Moshe Feinstein Tanayim that are just used as a tribute to the past. You know, second marriage is generally, Tanayim won't be used. I want to point out, uh, I did a wedding the, the other night. It was actually Roshachta was supposed to be Masada Kedushin. He was delayed on a plane. It wasn't his fault. He, you know, the Hassan and Kala knew there was a possibility he was going to be late because he was away for Shabbos. So I had to step in to uh, be Rav Shechter. That's impossible. You know, I could, someone said I should put on my resume, Baum steps in for Rav Shechter. I was only willing to do the Tanayim, and I said when it comes to the Chuppah, the, the Ksuba, Rav Shechter's got to be here. Because even Bisman Hazeh, with a standard Tanayim and Ksuba, there are going to be some differences and different Minhagim of what's included inside. It's not going to be the difference when it comes to actual concrete items. It's going to be more of the language. Remember we discussed earlier, is this Ksuba Dirabanan or is it Daraisa? There's a question of, do you write Basar Chayai? Basar while you're alive and after you're alive? Or Shefta says it's better to write the language. What does it mean after you're alive? It means after you die. He also has some other language. There's a question that comes up in the Ksuba, if you have a levy, so I was, you know, I was recently Messiah Kedushin at the wedding of a Kohen. You mentioned the first time and the last time the Kohen. But how about all the other times that you mentioned the, co- the name? You only mentioned the first name. Do you also mention Kohen? Do you put in family, not family? These are differences. If you listen carefully at Ksuba, especially since we're learning Ksubas, you can see this. Rav Shechter has somewhat of a Chiddush when it comes to Tanayim. I don't know if anyone else says this, but it did make it into the madrich of the RCA. I had the schuss of working on the marriage section. I wasn't the main person, but at least to go through and give some of my insights. <coughs> and Reshechter has that each side should, make, should keep a copy of the Tanayim. He actually fills out two Tanayim. I knew that this week. When I'm a side Kedushin at a wedding, I do one Tanayim. But I said if Reshechter is running this wedding, then we have to do two Tanayim. Because he says if it's a contract between the two fathers that they're ready to move ahead, then each should have a copy. I mean, technically you could do a photocopy, but the way we actually did it is each Tanayim had its own set of witnesses. We only read it once, but each Tanayim had their own set of witnesses. With all of this said, we're going to get now to the Mishnah, where the Mishnah spells out the responsibilities 
that a woman must do for her husband. And again, as we've seen before, and we'll see this further into the Masechta, very often these are going to be mutually, which means mutually doesn't mean it's the same thing, but it's give for that. The give is the husband does, the, the wife does this, and then the that is on condition that the wife does this, or however you flip it around. And what's negotiable, what's not negotiable. I want to point out a couple of things on the Mishnah, which we'll continue with uh, next week. When we talk about the malacha that a wife does for the husband, many of these things are negotiable. And what I want to point out at first is that it's going to depend on the standard of living, not just of the woman, not just of the man, but the woman as well. And the question is, does she have to do these things or does she have to get them done? Because if you look in the Mishnah, it raises the possibility that as long as all of these things are done, it's not that she necessarily has to do it. So much so to the point where, you know, she would just sit sipping martinis. Then the Mishnah says, well, that's going to be dangerous because uh, it's not good not to have anything to do. Just to sit <coughs> and chill out all day while your maidservants are doing their work. You know, this reminds me from this past week's Parsha. That was the muster that Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm recording this uh, before Parsha Shlach, after Vayetze, sorry, that Yaakov Avinu gave muster to the guys at the well, the shepherds at the well, they were just hanging around, lazy. They weren't doing anything. They weren't uh, pushing the rock off. Maybe they pushed the rock on. And he says that's not the way people are supposed to behave. Laziness doesn't lead to good things. Yaakov Avinu is the model, as we see when he was working for Lavan, and it's actually brought down in the Rambam. And in Hilchus Chiras, as well as in the Shulchan Aruch, that when a person works, they have to work Bechal Kofa with all of their might, which is going to be subjective, because it's not necessarily going to be the same standard as far as productivity. It's going to be based on the individual, the worker's particular strength and capacity. So I wanted to point something else out regarding standard living. When does standard of living have a difference, make a difference in halacha? So this brings us, I'm just going to give you an overview. It's actually going to come up later in Meseches Ksuvas, but it's part, of the, it's part of the discussion over here because we're talking about what's this woman's standard of living. And based on her standard of living, her responsibilities will be different. Also, as far as what the man's uh, standard of living is. So we have in Hilchah There's a Pasuk in Devarim in one of the uh, areas where Sadaka is discussed. Devarim, uh, where is this? In Tesvav, right in the 15th chapter of Devarim. Perik Tesvav, Pesukim Zayin and Ches. The idea of Dai Machsuro. Dai Machsuro, Dai Machsuro, is that when you open up your hands and you give, you lend, or also when you give tzedakah to an ani, it's according to his or her needs. Now, what exactly does that mean? You know, our kids say they need a lot of things. They want a lot of things. Does it mean they need a lot of things? So the Shulchan Aruch discusses this. This is found in Yardaya, where we have the very important mitzvahs of the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, very important halachas of tzedakah. It's in uh, Reish Nun, very which is two fifty 
first sif. So this pasuk is brought down lahalacha, and when it plays out in the Gemara, if this was a person who, when they uh, had sufficient funds, they were able to have even a horse ride on a horse and have somebody leading the horse, that's your responsibility to take care of them. So re-establishing the economic status of the Yanni. That is a much bigger sugya. And again, what does this mean? What happens practically if this means we're going to take care of uh, Yankel, who's a rich man, but that's not going to let us take care of Beryl, Schmeryl, and all the other people? You're going to have to end up putting all your resources into one person. So there's a lot of discussion in Halacha. <coughs> there's another Gemara that is often ignored in this discussion. That's Gemara Babastra, Dav Tesamad Aleph, that seems to put somewhat of a limit. The way that many Rishonim understand this is the community has a responsibility. So the entire TNET community has to get behind that individual to try to put that person back to their accustomed standard living for their dignity. But that's not a requirement on every individual. Every individual has to keep in mind that there are going to be many other people that are coming to collect tzedakah. So there are many nuances in this halacha, and we're going to wait to uh, address it when we get to Samach Zayin, Ahmed Beis. We'll deal with it well. The Rambam discusses these halachas in Matna Sani and Perig Zayin, halacha Aleph through Zayin. But he actually brings in both of these gemaras to, uh, and they they're integrated to form the halacha. I wanted to mention something else here that's kind of interesting. It talks about the responsibility of the mother to nurse the child, and then the Rishami raises a question. The Rishonim raised the question over here. Let's say you have twins. It sounds like here you only have to the mother only has to nurse one. So that actually is a machlokas in the Rishonim. Gemara seems to be making an assumption that there's a benefit for the child being nursed by the mother. That's one way of looking at it. Or you could just say it's the most natural way of doing things. This uh, generates, of course, the thoughts about Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe was only interested in having the chalav of his mother. And that's why uh, that was part of the Hashgach Hashem, that Sipora ends up being the nursemaid. You do see that's a big deal, nursing. According to the way Rashi's explanation is, when Yitzchak was weaned, there was a special party. You see a similar thing in uh, Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph, Perik uh, Aleph. It's in the beginning of Shmuel, Pasach Beis. And there's a whole issue in the world of Kashrus. You know, a baby who's not obligated in the laws of Kashrus but there's a mystical element that the baby should only have kosher food, should only have food from at least the Jewish woman. The idea of going, getting the milk from the mother, I think that's more from an emotional perspective, from a bonding experience. It actually ties in, again, to these parshios, because there was Lashon Harag. You know, today we live in a world where we have a lot of late sun, and I mentioned this in a shir, the whole world or much of the world, the media, it doesn't matter what B'nai Yisrael, what Klai Yisrael, what Am Yisrael could prove about the Shifa hospital, about how many people were murdered, how many people were killed. You have late son who challenge everything. They're even willing to say that Israel killed their own children. Rahman al-Islam, Shalom. 
So there's uh, the Torah responds to late son. I gave a share on why the Hashem feels the necessity to respond to late son. Not for now. That's why he tells us Avram holds Yitzchak. There was a Taina that people said Avram and Sarah, such an old couple. There's no way in the world they have Yitzchak. So Hashem made that Yitzchak look like Avraham. There's a question: Did the change happen in utero or afterwards? Do they necessarily look alike? Do they have the same facial features? So this is an interesting discussion. But part of the way that Avram and Sarah thought that they could prove to the world that Av- that Sarah was Avraham's uh, mother, because it was a tiny, not just about the father. People said it was Avimelech and not Avraham, but there were questions even, is it the mother? Is that Sarah nursed Yitzchak and nursed all these other children when inviting uh, them for the special weaning party the status then for people with a fancy uh, lifestyle was to have nursemaids nurse the baby. So Sarah says, leave all the nursemaids home. Wet nurses, I think, I'll take care of your babies. Even with all of that, maybe they believed it temporarily, but then they still continued to spread rumors. That's what happens to uh, Am Yisrael, Kala Yisrael. should have a great week of learning. We'll get next week into some more of these obligations and uh, some very fascinating Gemara. We're getting close to some great. I got it as well.